And so where are we today on the road? Today we're on the road to running away. So that's nice, isn't it? I'm sure we've all been there. Have you ever just wanted to run away? Or maybe you have literally run away. I don't know. Um, So I'm going to just talk to you a little bit about Elijah, um, about the background of Elijah before I I get into this. So we're going to have our first reading in a little bit and we'll have another reading after that. Um, But before all of that, I just want to tell you where we're up to so far to avoid having having to read two chapters of One Kings to you. So we've got King Ahab. King Ahab is the king of the northern region of Israel um, because it's split into two kingdoms at this point. So we've got Ahab, who is the king, and his wife is Jezebel. Um, Ahab, the Bible says, is the worst king. He has done more evil in the sight of God than any other kings before him. So this guy is pretty bad. And Jezebel uh, worships a different god. She worships Baal, um, and Ahab is also worshipping Baal as well, and he's brought the whole nation into this worship of false gods. So they are really evil. And then we have this guy, Elijah, who pops up. Elijah is a prophet, um, and he comes along, and he goes up to Ahab. This is how he's introduced in the Bible, and he just says, there will be no rain in this region other than by my word. And that's it, and then he goes off again. Um, So that's how Elijah starts. Um, And then what happens is that God hides Elijah. So he tells him to go off into into the wilderness, basically, and he tells him that he can drink from the brook while he's there and that two ravens will feed him. It's kind of like Tesco's delivery, but probably better and no weird product replacement, I imagine. So the ravens um, drop off meat and bread for him twice a day, every day. Sounds pretty good. Um, And then after that, he's out there for a little while, um, and then the brook, of course, dries up because there's been no rain for so long. So when the brook dries up, God tells Elijah to to go off to this other place. can't remember the name. It's funny. Um, And there's a widow there, he says, that he will meet, and this widow will provide for him. When he comes across the widow, the widow says that she's got a little bit of flour left and that she's just going to bake some bread for her and her son, and then they're going to die because they don't have anything else. Um, but no, miracle time, um, because actually God makes sure that this flower doesn't ever run out. And she's got a jug of oil too, and that doesn't ever run out either. And so these things are used to feed herself, her son, and Elijah. So it's, it's bottomless food, it just keeps coming. Um, so God's really there and providing for Elijah at this time. A side note, what also happens is that that woman's son dies during this period. And um, she says, man of God, why have you done this to me? And um, he does some kind of weird stuff and prays a bit, and the son is actually brought back to life. Interesting little side bit. And then she recognizes that he's really a man of God, because the magical reproducing food wasn't enough, clearly. Um, So that all happens. (laughs) So that all happens. And then, after three years, God says to Elijah, okay, now it's time to go to Ahab and tell him that there will be rain. Go to Ahab and I will send rain. And Elijah says, okay then. And off he goes. He goes and finds Ahab. And he finds loads of people worshipping Baal. And he says, won't you worship the Lord, the God of Israel? And they're all like, meh. Um, And so what happens then is they kind of set up this weird sort of contest, actually, to to prove that the Lord of God is the only God. And uh, what happens is they 
challenge the prophets of Baal, there's 450 of them, that's quite a lot, to make an altar, and they're going to chop up a bull, and then they're going to pray to their God to bring fire and to consume this with fire. And Elijah's going to do the same. Elijah, the only prophet, so 1 verses 450. Um, and so they do this, and the, the prophets of Baal do, do their altar and chop up their bull, and they're praying really hard for, for Baal to come and set fire to this, and they're praying for hours and hours and hours. Nothing happens. And then Elijah mocks them, by the way. It's very funny. He says, oh, maybe your God's sleeping. Maybe he's traveling. Maybe he just can't hear you. It's quite funny. So he, he kind of mocks them in this. And of course, it doesn't work. And then Elijah's turn. He says, okay, well, let's cover this in water. You know, he's set up his altar. He's got his bull ready. Um, and he says, let's cover this in water. Let's drench it. And so they go and they utterly drench this thing. So it would be impossible to set fire to it. And then he prays to God. And of course, it's completely consumed in flames. Um, and so this is like a huge victory for Elijah. Because this one prophet of the Lord, the God of Israel, he has won. And the 450, they are slaughtered, in fact. Um, and so, you know, this is a massive victory for the Lord, the God of Israel. And so now I think we will have our first reading, and we'll see where we're up to after that. That was amazing, Sarah. That was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> a reading from 1 Kings. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, So may the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life like the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid. He got up and fled for his life, and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and he left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, and came and sat down under a solitary broom tree. He asked that he might die. It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the broom tree and fell asleep. Thank you, Catherine. So he's clearly not feeling great at this point. He's won this amazing victory, and then, as we've just heard, Jezebel comes along and says that she's going to kill him for killing all of the prophets of her God. So, you know, you can imagine he was full of confidence. He was chuffed. He was so pleased. He thinks the nation's going to come back to God. And then actually, he's running away in fear for his life. He's just spent the last three years out in the wilderness, and suddenly he's back in that place. He's running away again, back to it. You know, it was like he'd made it, but he just ends up hiding again and in fear. It's all gone wrong at this point. Now, I just want to say quickly that there is a reading of this um, story of Elijah that talks about um, Elijah having clinical depression. And I'm not going to talk about that today, and that is because I think it's such a huge topic. I wouldn't do it justice today if I tried, but also I think there's a real danger if we did that in seeing that the cure actually, in this reading, would seem so simple, and I don't think it is. Um, so I'm not going to talk about that today, but just so that you are aware, there is a reading of that. So what do I think is going on? Well, I think there's possibly three options here. So Elijah, he either doesn't think that God is with him anymore, so he thinks that God has abandoned him. 
Does he think that he's failed? That he himself has failed because the nation hasn't come back to God? Or is he just plain terrified? I mean, of course, I think it's probably all three. We always do, don't we? Um, and I, but I'm sure that, you know, we can all relate to each of those things, actually. So imagine thinking that God isn't with you anymore when your past is Elijah's past. So he's just spent the last three years being fed by God every single day, basically. You know, God has been so clearly with him throughout his whole journey. And imagine now thinking that God has abandoned you. I mean, if you were to tell me your life story, if you were to tell me your walk with God, I don't know if you feel like it would be as obvious that God's been with you the whole time as it was for Elijah. Maybe it is. I don't know. I've never been fed by a raven. I've I've always kind of been okay like that. Um, You know, I haven't had, like, the stuff that he's had. So it doesn't seem as obvious, maybe. So I think if Elijah was doubting that God was with him at that point, I think we're probably allowed to as well. I think we can kind of go easy on ourselves there and say it's okay. It's okay to have doubts. Or did Elijah think that he was a failure? You see, what happened was God had told Elijah part of the plan. God said to Elijah, go to Ahab and I will send rain. God didn't say to Elijah, go to Ahab and I will send rain and bring the nation back to me. That's not what he said. And I think so often in life, we can think we know what God's plan is, but actually God's only told us a little bit, and we always go and add this extra kind of chunk on, and we think God said that. But in this story, he hasn't. We just assume so much, I think, a lot of the time. I was at um, college before my training, I was doing a theology degree in a Pentecostal college. And there were a lot of people there that kind of, they felt called to the college. And they also felt called into leading churches in various different denominations. But then when they got to the panels, when they got to the interviews, they didn't get through. And it's because they kind of had assumed that they were called to that because of where they were at the time. And I've seen a lot of those people since, and they've all gone, I'm so glad I didn't do that. And they're really happy in what they're doing now. But you see, we just get it wrong. We kind of think God's saying something that he's not sometimes. And I think that's maybe what's happening with Elijah. Or was Elijah simply terrified? Fair enough. Jezebel's just said that she's going to kill him. And in Old Testament times, that seems like the kind of thing that happens. So it seems fair, doesn't it? But maybe Jezebel's failure to recognize the greatness of God has an effect on Elijah. Because she doesn't seem to care about this thing that happened at the altars. She doesn't seem to be bothered by that. Maybe she doesn't believe it, I don't know. But she's not affected by it. She's just angry with Elijah. She wants to kill him. And so maybe Elijah loses sight of who God is because he's so terrified of Jezebel. You can imagine the scene, can't you? Elijah is so full of adrenaline, and he's on this massive high after this great victory. But then, before everything even goes wrong, the adrenaline kind of stops. You start coming down. And then you feel exhausted because of all the stuff you've done, and he's going to have had a pretty exhausting day that day. 
And then you feel emotionally drained because there's been so much going on. And then Jezebel starts threatening his life. So on top of all the normal stuff of just being exhausted, suddenly he's full of fear, he's thinking that he's a failure, and he's doubting in God. It's like Elijah decided to run away at the worst possible time. He made a decision at the worst time. It's kind of like when you go shopping when you're hungry. You know what happens? And like John comes home and he's bought three Pringles for the price of two and he's like, so I've saved us money. And I'm like, no you haven't John, that wasn't on the list. <laughs> anyway, so it's kind of like that, isn't it? Because like Elijah's made this decision to flee and he hasn't stopped to think about anything else. He's made this decision at the worst possible time. He actually just needed to rest, I think. So how does God respond? We are going to have our second reading from Dave. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he travelled forty days and forty nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? The Lord said to him, Go back the way you came, and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael, king over Aram. Also, anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Saphat, from Abel-Meloah, to succeed you as prophet. Thank you, Dave. So how does God respond? It's incredible, isn't it? Because he doesn't go to Elijah and point out his sins or his failings. Failings, that's not a word. Failures. He goes right back to basics and he takes care of his very human needs. He sends him off to sleep and he wakes him up with fresh bread and then he has another sleep and he wakes him up again with more food and drink. It's brilliant. Sounds great. Um, It kind of reminds me of the parent of a very overtired toddler at that point, God. That's how he responds to him. It's kind of like, Elijah, you are overtired. Just get some good sleep, get some food, everything's going to be okay. But I think we have this idea so often that kind of doubt or doubting God in any way is sinful. I'm not sure it is, actually. And I think we are so hard on ourselves, we kind of think that if we're not living these incredible lives where everybody around us isn't giving their life to Jesus all the time, then we're kind of failures. And also, I'm not, I don't think that's true at all. And I think we also, you know, when we're scared of something as Christians, when we feel fear, then I think we, get, we make it worse because then we feel guilty about being afraid. You know, we all know that verse, that perfect love casts out fear, and therefore we suddenly feel guilty that we're feeling afraid. And we make it so much worse. But God didn't respond to Elijah by pointing out anything that he'd done wrong at all. You know, Elijah is seen as one of the great prophets. 
If you look in the New Testament, he is one of the great prophets. He appears in a transfiguration um, with Moses and with Jesus up on the mountaintop. Like, he is a pretty big deal. (laughs) Yet here, we see him with doubt, with failure, with fear. You ready for this line? I love this line. I wrote it myself. (laughs) Um, (laughs) God doesn't decommission Elijah but he recommissions Elijah in that moment. He doesn't say, okay, well, you're doubting, you're, you're, you're scared, you, you've failed me. He doesn't say that. He actually gives him a new mission. He sends him off to find these other people that he's told him to, to anoint the new king, to, to go and find Elisha, and he's going to be partnered with him. He gives him a new mission. It's brilliant. So even on the road to running away, God is still there. The road of being completely consumed by our own failures, by our fears, by our doubts, God is still there. You know, the the message that I really want to drive home, I guess, is that doubt's okay. Fear is okay. Failure in our own plans, it's okay. Because God is still with us. You know, all those things are painful and they hurt. But they are actually part of all of our lives. And they're part of our faith as well. And they're what help our faith to grow. And talking about them, talking about them to God, talking about them with each other, talking about them as church, is a good thing. It's a really good thing. And we see, we see today that actually Elijah was so honest before God. He just said, God, I've had enough. I want to die. He's so honest. And that means that we can be too. So God remains faithful throughout. You know, he sees our physical and our spiritual needs, and they're all as important as each other. And he sees that. Elijah has his physical needs met. You know, his view of God is restored. And he's given somebody to walk along the road with in Elisha as well. He has all of his needs met. And there's not one point when God says, you need to apologize for that. So, you know, fear, doubt and failure, they will not get you decommissioned in God's kingdom. Not at all. Not ever. And God is on all the roads that we could ever take. Whether you're walking with him faithfully, whether you're trying to escape, whether you're on a totally different road, whether you're cartwheeling down the road like Alice, whether you're sat, not not you, whether you're sat on the road in a bit of a strop, you know, whatever road you're on, you will always bump into God eventually because he is wonderfully faithful, whatever road that we are on. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your faithfulness to us. God, I thank you that you are with us despite our doubts, despite our failures, despite our fears. I thank you that you are so powerfully with us at all times. Help us to see where you are. And God, help us to talk about those things that may be uncomfortable or may feel wrong. But God, help us to share with one another and to talk to you honestly. God, we thank you for who you are and for how you are with us. Amen.